Oscar Wilde once wrote that after a good dinner, one can forgive anybody, even one's own relations. Good morrow, everybody, and happy Thanksgiving from Stories of Symmetry. My name is Ben Laboot, and you're listening to a special Thanksgiving bonus. Today, we are discussing the wealth and riches, prosperity and happiness that is the wheel of a Thanksgiving meal. It has been said that an army marches on its stomach, and in truth, we all do. Nutrients, like oxygen, water, and so many other things, are necessary for life. You see, comatose patients receive nutrients, but not food, because food is so much more than the alimentation it provides, or the labels found on the package varieties. And in much the same way that food is more than the sum of its nutrients, a meal is more than the sum of its food. The ancient practice of sharing a meal elicits some deep, subconscious, and unspoken knowledge of its significance. Perhaps it arises from the primeval repasts of small groups of hunter-gatherer ancestors, knowing that to share a meal is to share the highly coveted, hard-fought food on which our very lives depend. Also accompanying a meal is trust, that you and I will take from the same dish and eat together. And in doing so, we will both drop our guards, let fight-or-flight epinephrine be replaced with rest-and-digest norepinephrine, let our bodies relax, and leisure overtake us. A meal is a coming together to share and enjoy company and relish in delicious comestibles, a coming together that, unfortunately, is all too often a rarity. Those who understand its importance prioritize it. You would be hard-pressed to find a character of biblical significance about whom there is not a meal mentioned. I think about Abraham, who entertained heavenly messengers with curds, veal, and milk. Or Saul and David's dysfunctional supper pastimes. Specifically, I am thinking about when Saul threw a spear at David from across the table. Surely, if your Thanksgiving meal does not include attempted murder, then you're not as bad as some. In thinking about biblical meals, I am, of course, drawn to the Passover meal. During those days, the people of Israel were rather oppressed in the land of Egypt, and after God had wrought nine plagues on the Egyptians, their breaking point was at hand. As the tenth and final plague rained down from heaven in the dead of night, God told Moses and the other Israelites to sit down and dine together. However, their meal was not very relaxing, nor was the food much of a delight. God's instructions included eating their food while wearing traveling clothes and holding their walking sticks, signs that they would be ready to go at a moment's notice. Their food included roasted lamb, freshly slaughtered so that the lamb's blood could be used to paint the exterior door frames of the houses, an indication to the angel of death that those homes could be passed over and spared. 
hence the holiday's name, Passover. Furthermore, they ate bitter herbs, sour vegetables as it were, as a reminder of their sins and the bitterness of their current lives. God also gave the instruction that every year thereafter, until the end of time, the Israelites were to recreate that meal in remembrance and celebration of the moment when God liberated them from their Egyptian bondage. Even a full thousand years later, when Jesus walked the earth, the Passover meal was still celebrated, as it is today. If you are familiar with the life of Jesus, then you know that he frequently broke bread with others. Oftentimes, he was criticized for eating among the social rejects and outcasts of society. He dines with sinners, prostitutes, and even tax collectors, went the rote criticism, to which Jesus would reply, It is not the healthy people who need a physician, but the sick. Jesus gave pragmatic advice for choosing one seat at the table. Advice that is still relevant to us, even as we celebrate this year's Thanksgiving. He said, Do not sit at the best seat at the table, because the host might give away that seat to another guest, and then you will be relegated to a seat of dishonor. Instead, choose the lowly seat, and perhaps the host will recognize you and honor you with a great seat. A modern translation of that might read, Don't sit at the head of the table, because the host will kick you out of that seat, and you'll be stuck with a folding chair in the corner. Instead, sit down at the kid's table, and the host might very well give you a fine armchair next to his or hers at the place of honor. Later on this season, we will take a look at a breakfast picnic that Jesus once shared with his disciples. But I think that, by far, his most famous meal was the final Passover Seder that he and his closest followers shared. In fact, it was their last meal, period. We fittingly remember it as the Last Supper. In the upper room of a borrowed house, Jesus gathered his companions and gave them his parting words. Whole books could easily be written about what happened that night in the Cenacle, but I will suffice it to say only that Jesus taught his friends. He tried to clarify and help them through some confusing and difficult subjects. He prayed with them. He worshipped with them. He remembered the past with them, and with them he looked forward to the future. The momentous encounter was, of course, backdropped by a shared meal, and for that meal, Jesus gave thanks. The Bible said that he took bread, gave thanks, and then shared it with the others. He did the same before passing the wine. Giving thanks is, of course, what the day is all about. It is exceedingly easy to forget that, but nevertheless, it is the first and foremost principle of thanksgiving. Because in much the same way that food is more than the sum of its nutrients, a meal is more than the sum of its food. A meal is about the people and the community they share. It is about the opportunity to gather and share in each other's lives. It is about family, whether by blood or choice or circumstance. It is about the blending of flavors, sweet, spicy, and others, just like life. 
and a meal is, of course, a chance to remember just how much God loves and favors us. My hope for you this year is that you take a moment to give thanks. No doubt some have more to be thankful for than others. Some of us had a good year, and to say that some of us had a terrible year would be too kind a word. When it comes to Thanksgiving, some of us enjoy the family meal, some of us revile it, and some of us don't have it. Perhaps this Thursday, you won't have a great big turkey to share, but will instead sit down to a small chicken, or even a single-serve game hen, and think about the classic Thanksgiving meal that you're not having. And while I could never foolishly assert that you are in a place of health, happiness, or anything else, I believe that everyone, even you and I, can find at least one thing to be thankful for. It might take a minute, but there's something. If you spend a little longer, you'll even stumble upon more things. Things as simple as plates, if you have them, are blessings. So are napkins, or a place to sit. If you don't have a throne, perhaps you have a fine chair, or perhaps a plastic folding chair. I have found that a milk crate or the edge of a table is just fine for one's bottom. But of course, not all of us have that luxury. So as you sit on the ground, or wherever else, Take a moment to thank God for giving you a spot free from mud. And if you are one of those who are sitting on wet ground, then be thankful that you have a spot to sit, and that one day soon, the sun will come out to dry it. When it comes to meals, the Apostle Paul told his friends at Rome, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and gives thanks to God. When it comes to life in general, Thoreau penned, I am grateful for what I am and have. My thanksgiving is perpetual. It is surprising how contented one can be with nothing definite, only a sense of existence. Yet I don't think anyone has ever said it more succinctly than the psalmist. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. There is no great way to say this, but if you're thankful for stories of symmetry, or if you think that others might be, then please consider supporting us. I firmly believe that the best way you can do this is to tell others about the podcast and share it with them. But also, if you have the means to make a financial contribution, then that too is immensely, immensely appreciated. You can donate to the show at storiesofsymmetry.com give. There is a tremendous amount of time dedicated to this podcast and financial overhead as well. So thank you for your support. We hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. Be sure to bring a friend and join again on December 8th as we talk about the trouble with gardens. Have a great two weeks and an even better Thanksgiving. Go with God. Go in peace.